Welcome to Hillside Baptist Church Podcast. We are a church that is committed to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is our privilege to open God's word with you. It is our prayer that you receive the message from the man of God with an open heart. That through God's word, you are encouraged and equipped to face life's challenges. But most importantly, it is our prayer that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior if you haven't already. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so at hillsidebc.com, find us on Facebook, or send us an email at info at hillsidebc.com. We hope that you benefit from today's message and that you would share it with a friend. But let's now open our hearts and God's Word. Boy, what a great thought today as we consider who Jesus is. And boy, I tell you, as we just think about the love of our great God, the amazing grace that He shed upon us, we stand amazed in His presence. And we just thank the Lord for His goodness and mercies to us. And coming back to the book of Romans, we see that displayed so beautifully in Romans 7. You ever thought about why somebody would follow a leader? Think about this. Why do you follow a person? Why do you follow a leader that's in front of you? Sometimes we follow someone because of fear. We're afraid of what they might do. Sometimes we follow because of what we get out of the relationship. But the greatest reason to follow is because of love. I think about uh, what they just sung about and the fact that what we have been given, the the incredible grace and love and the servanthood of Jesus Christ, uh, just demonstrates for us something so beautiful, it can't help but, but make me want to follow Jesus Christ. Really, this was seen in Christ in his life, right? He wasn't a, a, a leader that said, listen, you will follow me or else. What he said was, let me serve you. Let me minister. I came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give my life a ransom for many. You see, Jesus Christ laid down his life and he said, listen, I want to be a, a, not just a, a, a dictator. I want to be a servant. Why do we serve him today? Why are we here? Not because he demands it, but because we love him. You see, we love Him because He first loved us. One example of this was Mary Magdalene, a woman whose life was uh, very wretched in the eyes of the world and the Pharisees wouldn't have anything to do with her. She was a woman who had had multiple partners and uh, just by every uh, stretch of the law had offended God and His holiness. And yet Jesus Christ in His mercy forgave her. Jesus Christ and His great grace looked upon her not with disdain as the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but with a heart of love and compassion. And we find this Mary Magdalene tearfully bending over the feet of our Savior, washing His feet with her, uh, with her, uh, with her tears and drying her, His feet with her hair. Listen, she had been forgiven much and she loved much. Luke seven forty seven says this. He says, Her sins which were many are forgiven for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Let me ask you, have you been forgiven much? I can tell you where I would be if it weren't for Jesus and it would not be here. 
You see, she had been saved from a life of prostitution and God gave her liberty. And she had knew what it was finally to have life, to have peace in her soul with all that had gone on. And, and if you're living with sin, you're like David and you say, listen, I washed my bed with my tears. My couch was overrunning with my grief. Listen, you know what it is when, that when sin hits you between the eyes and you know the weight that it, that it places upon a soul. But Mary Magdalene came to this Lord who is her servant, her, her, her friend, the one that gave her forgiveness, this wonderful Son of Man, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and she found peace with Him. So she loved Him. She loved Him with a love that was deeper than any Pharisee could ever have known because she was forgiven. We serve a great God today. Listen, Christ didn't demand the love of Mary. Mary gave it willingly. This week, I was, uh, my son and, a, and I were in the truck, and we were listening to old Adrian Rogers. We are driving down the road listening to Adrian Rogers, and I just love to hear that old, old uh, voice of his just to ring out with clarity about some Bible truths. And he shared an illustration I want to share with you today about Abraham Lincoln. Long before the Emancipation Proclamation, long before uh, the Civil War, long before those things, he was just a simple, humble man in Illinois. And there in that place, he had uh, had a, a chance to attend a slave market and saw these slaves coming up for bid. And, and as one person after another person was brought before the auctioneer, but people were bidding and buying and people were bidding and buying on the, on the life of a soul. And, and he saw in, in the back of the line this uh, sheepish looking young lady and uh, just, a, he just, his heart immediately was just uh, burdened for her. And so when the time came for her to be uh, bid upon, he looked into those brown eyes and he he said, listen, I, I, I want to buy her. And he began to raise his hand and the bidding got higher and he raised his hand and bought her. And, and, and uh, at the end of the day, when, uh, when he was given her and they unchained her from the shackles that she was in and led her to Abraham Lincoln and they gave Abraham Lincoln the bill of sale for this precious soul in this life. And he looked at her, looked her in the eyes and said, ma'am, let me tell you, you were free. And he gave her the paper. She said, what do you mean? He said, you're free. You're free to do what you want. You're free to go where you want, to live the way you want, to make your own choices. You see, you are free today. With tears running down her eyes, with gratitude in her heart, she said, then I choose you. I choose to go with you. You see, her choice to follow Lincoln was not out of a servitude, but out of a deep love for a man that had freed her. And when we think about our Savior, and we think about the chains of sin and the sorrows of this world, I can't help but be amazed that we have a God that would look at me and my sinfulness and say, but God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, great compassion, great love. And wherewith that same love He loved us, let us also love Him today. You see, we have a great God today. Paul wrote to the church in Rome, and there was much about salvation as we come to the book of Romans. And, and he wanted to share so much with them that we have a great salvation. Church, let me just remind you, we have a wonderful God who has offered you forgiveness of your sins, the eternal redemption. And he says, listen, I go to prepare a place for you. And it is a hope that is beyond bounds. And it is something that we can bank on. And listen, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow as this song was sung, but I know Jesus. And I know I can trust Him. And I know His Word is true. And I know that I can bank on it. And I know that more sure than the stock market is the eternal promises of my God. Listen, we can rest in Him. 
And as Paul began to expound these things, and he goes to Romans 1, he says, listen, we are all condemned. We are all born into sin. And Romans 3 reveals that so beautifully as he says, listen, there's no one. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish. It doesn't matter if you're Gentile. It doesn't matter if you have this uh, great uh, thing that's been given to you of birthright. Listen, you are still condemned under the law. It comes to Romans, Romans chapter 6, and we saw that many people wanted to be able to say, listen, since we are saved by grace, we are free to live as we please. You see, this is the fallacy of license. I can do whatever I want. Some people argue, but listen, we can't ignore God's law. We are saved by grace, and uh, sure, we believe that, but we also must live under the law, and so we've got to do that, and we'll please God. And this is the expression of legalism. And yet both of these in conflict, Romans 6, he deals with one, and Romans 7, he deals with the other. And Romans 6 was God's answer to those that would take the, the grace and just to take it for liberty and, and license and do whatever they wanted. In Romans 6, 1 says, And what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And his answer was astoundedly, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? He said, your life has been changed. You don't understand. You're no longer bound by those chains. You're no longer in a place where you have to do those things. Now in Romans 7, he just turns the page a little bit and begins to deal with these things. Listen, I remind you, we are saved from sin and we're saved for Christ. We have a purpose now. He says in, in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then verse 10, he says, For ye are His workmanship. You belong to Him. Isn't that glorious? I don't belong to this old world anymore. I'm no longer bound by the chains of, of sin. I'm no longer bound by sin's degradation. But instead now, I've been set free. I am loosed. And I have a brand new purpose, a brand new owner, a brand new God. Amen. And His name is Jesus Christ. You see, grace gives way to freedom. But you see, the problem was not just those that wanted to give license and liberty to do whatever they wanted under grace, but now Romans 7, he deals with those that argue for legalism. Legalism is simply adding anything to salvation that God didn't intend. Okay, I, we're not going to talk about uh, just the very basic of that definition is if I believe I've got to be baptized in order to be saved, that's legalism. If I have to dress a certain way in order to be saved, that's legalism. If you go down through Romans 7, you're going to find the word law is used 23 times. In Romans 6, Paul told us how to stop doing bad things. Now in Romans 7, he's going to be able to show you how to have freedom to not do, to do, have to do good things. And so there's a balance here in our salvation, not one extreme or another. And he says in Philippians 4, he says, let your moderation be made known unto all men. And so God is calling for us to understand the balance here in our salvation. Freed from sin, not to go back to sin, but we're also not bound by the law anymore uh, to be able to have to, to keep a toe of the line in order to honor and please God. Listen, here's the great thing. We don't serve Him because we have to. We don't serve Him because He's a dictator. We serve Him because we love Him today. We have a magnificent magnate. This week we were getting ready for this, and Brother Travis is so gracious, always designs me my, our little graphics there on the bulletin and stuff, and, and, and I use them in, in this, and he sent me the one, and it was a magnet. And I said, Brother Travis, magnet's different than magnet. 
And he said, well, when I put it in Google, he said, to, to understand what it was, the, the, the autocorrect uh, changed it on me. And I had one of those happen with Sister Julie. I just want you to know, if you looked at the, our election of officers and you saw that Brother Steve was ma married to July, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I didn't proof that good. He, his wife's name is not July, it is Julie. Amen? So I just want to make that public correction there. I told her, she says, please don't. And I said, no, I've got to. I said, because your name is not July. <laughs> Listen, as we grow in grace, the, the Christian experience, what we find is Romans 6 and 7 can be pretty natural. Once we learn how to know and reckon to yield our lives, we start to get victory over the habits of the flesh and we feel like we're becoming more spiritual and, and we begin to set high standards. And there's nothing wrong with that. And we begin to set high ideals for ourselves. And, and for a while, it just seems like we can attain them. But then everything collapses. I can't be perfect. Did you know that? If you're looking for a perfect preacher, you're in the wrong place. Here's my promise I make to new members. I said, here's, here's what I've learned is I will disappoint you at some point. I'm just a man. Thank you, Linda. There's other places that are amens and that's right or better. Gives a preacher more confidence. Listen. Because we're not looking to man, we look to God. And here's the thing, is God, God realizes that, listen, you can't be perfect, and He's not judging you based upon your ability to be perfect. Isn't that liberating? Now listen, I'm not going to go into sin, and I'm not intentionally going to chase after things to feed the flesh. That's, that's dealt with in chapter 6, but now chapter 7, He's saying, listen, now you've got to choose that, that we're not going to go the other extreme. We're people of extremes, aren't we? Man, we think about things that, man, we, we like extremes. I don't know why we, we did this, but we like the extremes in life. But God takes, uh, God's holy law takes on a new power whenever we, it comes under the grace of Jesus Christ. We're going to look at that today as we look at this, who Jesus is in Romans chapter 7. And what is legalism? What does God want for our lives this morning? Because let me just share with you, that legalism brings an emotional and spiritual damage to a life. The person either becomes a pretender or they suffer complete collapse and abandons what it means to live for Jesus. So we don't want to be either extreme here. Look at Romans 7. Let's read verses 1 through 13 together as we jump into the Word of God today. He says, Know you not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if, while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is freed from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law, for I had not known lust except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. 
But sin, taking occasion by the, uh, the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taken occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment uh, might become exceeding sinful. Let's stop and pray here. Father, we want to thank you for your mercies to us today. Lord, we have already I just tried to enumerate uh, in our heart and mind uh, the magnificence of who you are. God, we, there are, our, our words are too feeble to be able to articulate well what we really think of you. God, we love you. Lord, has been eloquently sung and shared already this morning. Lord, we have no greater God than you. You are Lord of all. So help us come humbly before your throne of grace today. May we seek your truth with earnest of heart and spirit, with a desire, Lord, to learn and grow, not in the extremes, but in Jesus Christ. We love you now. Dear Lord, guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we look at this conflict that's revealed here in Romans 6 and 7. The only solution to these extremes is Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now that, that, that verse has been a key verse in my life. In times of adversity, look unto Jesus. In times of goodness, look unto Jesus. But he uses this word author. This word means the preeminent ruler or originator. In, in my mind, just thinking about this, I, I, as I would begin to just study this verse a little bit, we see Jesus Christ is our magnificent magnet. He is the su supreme one. He is the Lord over all my life. He is the author. He is the preeminent one. When Jesus is Lord of our life, it removes that element of pride. Listen, it's not about me. It removes the covetousness. Lord, I'm content in you. And listen, these two things destroy a vibrant walk with God. Covetousness and pride, those are things that, as we see here in Romans 7, as he gets to the heart of things, he says, listen, the law reveals these things, but it's Jesus Christ that gives us liberty. And he goes on to that in verse number 25, later in Romans 7. But in here in Romans 7, as we just begin, we see it's a continuation of this discussion that was in Romans 6, 15. He says, what then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under the grace? God forbid. So now, before he uses the illustration of a master and servant, now he's going to use a different illustration. Before it was that Christians should yield themselves to God, now he uses this illustration of a husband and a wife, and he shows this to demonstrate the new relationship to the law that we have because of our union with Christ. So let's look here. As we think about who Jesus is, and we consider the law in relation to this, let's think about where the law's authority is in our life today. Are you saved today? Amen. Amen. Good. So now I want you to consider that, uh, and we're going to answer a couple of questions because the text deals with those. What good is the law still today? And then what place does the law have in my life now that I'm in Jesus Christ? 
Okay, so these are important questions for us to consider. So he uses a very simple illustration, but it has a great application here in Romans 6, uh, 7, 1 through 6. And when a man and a woman marry, the Bible says that they are united for life. The marriage is a physical union. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24 says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. So no longer am, are we two. No longer is my wife her own individual person, and I'm my own individual person. Now we are one flesh. We are unified through this physical union that God has given us. And so this union can only be broken by a physical cause. And the, one of the ways that he deals with in this text is by death. So some, when death comes, when we stood before God, we made a vow before God, and we said, till death do us part. Now there's been times my wife said, listen, I don't believe in divorce, but I'm not afraid of murder. That made me hide the guns, I'm just saying. <laughs> listen, well, he says, listen, there, there is this, this physical break in death that happens, and when that happens, that woman or that man is no longer bound under that vow because the, the physical break has happened. Okay, And so in this situation, as he talks about Romans 7, he takes this very simple thing and he applies it then into the Christian life. Okay, and he talks about the law and our relationship because of Jesus Christ. And listen, there's a death that happens. And the very first thing we've got to understand is we died to the law. Okay, look here in verse number one. Know you not, brethren, uh, for I speak to them that know the law. Okay, so I'm talking to you Hebrews. Listen closely. How that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. There is a vow. There is, a, a, there is this headship over your life. And so you are underneath the law and it has dominion. You have to live it. You have to be perfect in it. And what the law reveals is, listen, I'm a rotten sinner. I cannot get to God on my own because I cannot attain perfection. Now listen, I may be better than the guy on death row. Not much. But maybe a little. But the problem is not I'm, I'm, the problem is the who I'm comparing myself to, and I cannot attain the perfection of God on my own. And so in Romans seven, he says, "Now listen, before you were under the law, verse two. Now he begins this illustration: For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. Now he draws in this connection here uh, with this marriage relationship, and he says, "All right, now when you are married, the the wife is bound unto that husband. No, no matter uh, he says, and there's there's uh, should not be any breaking of that as, as uh, according to Genesis two twenty four. You're one flesh, and so the only way to break that thing." thing is by death. And so that is why Romans 6 dealt with this. We must die to, uh, to our sin and live unto Jesus Christ. So there must be a break in this union here. Look in Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Why is it that we don't have to serve sin? Because we're no longer under the dominion of that old law. We've been set free from it. The vow has been, uh, has been broken by that physical cause. And verse 7 says, For he that is dead is freed from sin. So now, sin doesn't have to reign over me. The law doesn't reign over me because now I'm alive unto Jesus Christ. I have a brand new ruler. The law did not die. We died. We trusted Christ. We died to the law, but in Christ what we find is we arose from the dead and are now married. There's a new union, if you will, 
to Christ. We have a brand new life. Now, a couple of things here. The law did not die because God's law still rules over, over men. Okay, We died to the law and it no longer has dominion over us. So now we're not lawless necessarily. We're united to Jesus Christ, sharing His life and walking in the newness of life. Romans 8, 4 says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. And so there's this new calling here. Instead of following my own desires and my own lusts and my own ambitions, now I've got a brand new master and that's Jesus Christ. In the old life of sin, we, were, we brought forth fruit unto death. That's what the Bible says here, as that, uh, in verse number 4, Wherefore, my brethren, you also become dead. And later he talks about being dead, uh, the, uh, being uh, in our death, in that place underneath the law, we brought forth fruit of death. But now in the new life of grace, we bring forth a new kind of fruit. It's a fruit unto God. In verse number 4, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. And so it simply means that the motivation and the dynamic of our lives doesn't come from the law. It comes from God's grace through our union with Christ. Instead of serving a dictator because I'm fearful, I'm serving a God who loves me because I'm in love with Him. The motivation's totally different. I'm afraid of the law, but I have a relationship with Jesus Christ who gives me the ability to live for Him. B.B. Warfield said this, Christianity is not merely a program of conduct. It's not just concerned with the outside, okay? It is the power of a new life. That's the difference. We died to the law. And here's the second thing. We are delivered from the law. Verse number 6. Look there in your text with me. Romans 7, 6. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So the logical conclusion is that the law cannot exercise authority over a dead person. Death means deliverance. Romans chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he lived, uh, liveth, he liveth unto God. When we were delivered, we, uh, we were delivered that we might serve Jesus Christ. The Christian life is not one of independence, uh, or, and it's not one of rebellion, we died to the law that we might be married to Jesus Christ. We have a brand new uh, leader, a brand new magnate, a brand new sovereign in our lives. And we're delivered from the law that we might serve Jesus Christ. This is the great thing. The truth that, that uh, Paul is, is revealing to us is, and to all those that were trying to add things, whether it be circumcision or baptism or anything else to, uh, to salvation, what he's saying is, listen, you were saved and delivered from those things. You do not have to go back under those things. So how do we, how do we live now versus what they did in the Old Testament? What is different about our Christian service opposed to when before we were saved, we were living under the law? First off, realize that now at the point of salvation, you were given the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God indwells every believer. He energizes us to seek and obey and serve the Lord day by day. Under the law, there is no enablement given. It was just simply uh, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and make it happen. But now God's grace uh, not only gives us salvation, but God's grace gives us His Spirit, which allows us to live for Him. 
Secondly, we see God's commandments were written on stones and they were read to the people. But now under grace, what we find is God's Word is written on our hearts. 2 Corinthians 3, 1-3 says, Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as you are manifestly declared to the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. You see, we walk in this newness of life. We serve in the newness of the Spirit. And then the believer then is no longer under this authority of the law. There was a noted poet and diplomat named James Russell Lowell. And he used his, uh, his talents in many different ways, especially to advocate for the abolition of slavery, slavery in America. And he devoted many years of his life to just simply seeing the slave trade removed from American shores. In editing, he edited many abolition newspapers, he printed magazines, he wrote poems, all called attention to the plight of the slaves but even after uh, all he had done, he still recognized there, there was a weakness of his flesh. It is said that Lowell told a friend uh, this phrase should be inscribed on his tombstone. He said, Here lies the part of James Russell Lowell which hindered him from doing well. You see, the realization is we uh, are still living in this body of flesh, but God's Spirit can help you direct and lead and have freedom there. So we consider the authority of the law, and when you're married to Jesus Christ, that authority is now gone. But we must ask the next question that comes up logically and in the Scripture in verse number 7. What shall we say then is the law sin? What is now the new ministry of the law in our life? What is the purpose of it now and of all this? What good is the law if we don't need it anymore? And really, this is a question that many churches and in Christian circles today have asked, and as a result, they've abandoned the Old Testament. They say, listen, that's no longer needed. And I believe that that's a wrong viewpoint because all of Scripture is inspired. And what we see is the grass shall withereth, the flower fadeth, but the Word of God shall stand forever. That was in Isaiah, the Old Testament. It is still applicable to us today. So what is the point of the law? First off, we realize that the law reveals our sin. Look in verse number 7. He says, Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. Look in Romans 3.20. He says this, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Romans 4.15, Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. You see, the law reveals the sinfulness of our hearts. The law is a mirror. If you uh, this morning I got up and I, I I went into the bathroom and I got ready to to come to church and uh, after taking a shower I looked in the mirror and began to shave my face and I combed my hair and I did, got everything ready tied my tie in the in the right space I, listen I looked into the mirror to make sure that I was ready uh, to be able to come and do the Lord's work James one says but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves for if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer he is like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of manner he was. He looked, but he didn't do anything about it. But whoso looketh in the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So what is the point of this, of this Old Testament? The Bible says that it reveals the sinfulness of the heart. Notice in verse number 7 as he goes, he says, I had not known lust 
except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. Now, it's very interesting that the Bible would use, uh, and that God would use this word lust. Now, think about it. We think about the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, uh, and we can go down through those. Don't commit murder, don't commit adultery, and we think about those things. But he used the Tenth Commandment, and it's, the Tenth Commandment is a very unique one because instead of being concerned with the outward uh, manifestations of man, it was concerned with the inward one. Thou shalt not covet is a uh, one of those central uh, sins that if we allow covetousness in our heart, we break the other nine commandments. You see, when I lust after something else, that becomes my God. When I lust after something else, then that can become a, a heart of adultery. If I lust after something else, it can uh, cause me to be able to commit murder. You see, I can uh, this, this one thing is an inward manifestation of the heart. Now, when Jesus was here, there was a rich young ruler that came to him in Mark chapter 10. And this rich young ruler, ruler was an example of how the law uh, really pinpricks the problems of the heart. This rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, Listen, I've kept the law all my life. I've never committed murder. I've never committed adultery. I, I, I give my money. I, he says, I, I, I do everything I should. And Jesus told him this. He went straight to the Tenth Commandment and he said, Give everything you have away and follow me. You know what he did? He went away sorrowful because he wouldn't follow Christ. He, that lust still abode in his heart. You see, the law reveals what's in the heart. The law shows us those errors where, where we have uh, chosen to reject God and follow our own way. And I'll be honest, there's some days when I look in the mirror of God's Word and I say, God, that hurts. I don't want to see that. Can we go to something more fun? But it's in those moments that God reveals those things that He begins to work in our heart and chisel away those areas so that we can be conformed into the image of God's Son. We also see, secondly, it arouses sin. Verses number 8 and 9. It says, But sin taking occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. That's a strong desire there is what that word means. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. You know what? Uh, have you ever, uh, Paul, was, Paul knew all what it was to, to try to follow the law. Tit for tat. Matter of fact, Philippians chapter 3, he talks about this. He says, Though I might have also, also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. This is what he says. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, and touch of the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, and touching righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He said, Listen, I had it all. I got it figured out. But remember, 1 Corinthians 15, 56, the strength of sin is the law. Listen, we all have a sinful nature, and the law is bound to arouse that nature like a magnet draws steel. Something in the human nature wants to rebel. You ever, ever been to a place where you saw, uh, saw wet paint? And the sign says, do not touch wet paint. What do you do? You touch it, don't you? You're the reason the painter's got to come around behind you and repaint everything. You're welcome, Brother David. I, I do that to him all the time. Is it still wet? You're driving down the road, the speed limit says 55. I can get away with 60. There's a cop in here, so don't tell him. 
Listen, we do that, don't we? We want to just push the boundaries. We want to rebel just a little bit. Maybe it's a child. You ever seen, you ever told your child, listen, you stay away from that water. Don't go playing in there. Where do they go? Straight to the water. It's in all of us. We have the, all have the same sinful nature. Romans 8, 7 says, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. He said, listen, here's the problem with all of us, is because we all have this tendency to follow after our own spirit of rebellion. Believers who try to live by rules and regulation discover that a legalistic sin, a system only arouses more sin and creates more problems the churches in Galatia were very legalistic. They were a church that said, listen, you've got to be circumcised and you've got to follow the law and you've got to do this and that. And Galatians 5.15 says, but if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another because their legalism had turned into a cynicism and their cynicism had become critical and they become to devour one another. Their legalism didn't make them more spiritual and made them more sinful because the law arouses a sin in our nature. Also, look, it kills. It reveals, it arouses, and it kills. Romans 7, 10, through, 10 and 11. It says, And the commandment which was ordained to life I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it it slew me. Galatians 3.21 says this, Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if we had been given a law... Uh, uh, for, excuse me, for if, if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. He said, listen, if by any means the law could have given life, then Jesus would have never had to come. Galatians 2.21 says, If righteousness have come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. There's no reason for us to be able to say, listen, the, the law can save. It simply, uh, the law cannot uh, give life. It only takes it. It shows the sinner that he is guilty. The law shows us we are condemned. And this explains why legalistic churches and oftentimes Christians don't grow and bear spiritual fruit. And matter of fact, many times they die on the vine. Few things are more dead than an orthodox church, especially a church that is proud of its high standards and tries to live up to them in its own energies. Often the members of such a church start to judge and condemn and bite and devour there's anger, there's bitterness. Church splits. One of the things I love about Hillside is the spirit in our church. I have been amazed to watch. We're not perfect. Do we have problems? Yes. But what I've seen is that there's a spirit of peace. Yesterday we meet, met with our deacons and in preparation for our annual business meeting we were going over some business for the church yesterday. And as we did, did so, I, we just, I was just amazed by the sweet spirit in that board. And Brother Weigel, uh, who's one of our deacons, who's about to, he's rotating off as per our bylaws. He said, you know, in 30-something years of ministry, 50-something, I don't remember exactly the number. He said, I've never been on a board that has such a sweet spirit as this one right here. Listen, that's because we're not trying to follow the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. What a difference. We'll follow Jesus and Him alone. Church, let me just encourage you today. The law, if you try to follow everything, it's going to kill your love for the Lord. But also, the law shows the sinfulness of our sin. 
unsaved people know that there's such a thing as sin. They, they don't realize necessarily that their life is sinful, but listen, many Christians, we want to, sometimes we want to paint a pretty picture of our sin. I, well, I've got a little weakness in my flesh, and maybe I, I've just got this little mistake that I've made a few times, and listen, God condemns sin. And it doesn't matter if we call it a weakness or a mistake, God condemns it, and we've got to agree with God if we're ever going to get uh, have a true heart of repentance. Habakkuk 1.13 says, Thou art pure eyes to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Therefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and, upon, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth a man that is more righteous than he. Listen, God takes seriously this idea of sin. He can't even look upon it. But notice, I want you to see this graphic of sin. I saw it somewhere this week. Uh, I, I think uh, Saul Family Problems posted it on their Facebook and you notice right at the beginning, I don't think you can see it, it said just once, it couldn't hurt. And you just dabble with that one sin, not knowing that the end thereof are the ways of death. And God calls us, listen, not to, not to dabble in sin, but to say, listen, I want to live for Jesus Christ and to have victory. Sin is sin. And sin is serious. It will just, I've seen it destroy families. I've seen it destroy churches. And it doesn't matter if it's the sin of, uh, of license to do whatever you want and that sin, or if it's the sin of legalism, it has, a, it has the same conclusion, and that's pain. Listen, God will deal with sin. Romans shows that time and time and time again. It will either be pardoned by grace or it will be punished in hell. Either way, God will not overlook sin. And so God sent His most precious Son to bear the guilt of sin on Himself there at the cross. Romans 8.3 says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Listen, if you allow God, the law to be your master, then you will find that righteousness is always elusive. You can never quite be good enough. The law cannot save you. But I also submit to you the reason that Christ came was to offer pardon and peace to the sinner. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul said, Of whom I am chief. Listen, what he's saying is that we are all sinners in Romans 3, that all have fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And this express purpose for Jesus Christ was that He might come to redeem you of your sin. And so when you begin to take these matters into your own hands, you say, listen, I'm going to just try to be good enough and try to live a good enough life. Then Galatians 2.21 says, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead. What? In vain. Listen, Christ laid down His life because you and I cannot be good enough to get to heaven. The law shows us that. And He offers for you forgiveness of your sin and He offers you today a home that's eternal in the heavens, secured not by your good works, but by His grace and mercy and forgiveness. Thank you so much for joining us today. It is such a privilege to share God's Word with you. If God has spoken to your heart, because of the message. Stop right now and respond to whatever it is God is asking of you. Don't wait another minute. You can pray right where you're at and ask God for His help. 
If this message has helped you in any way, we would love to hear from you. Let us know if you have any questions or we can help you with your decision. Jesus asked his disciples, Who do ye say that I am? And he offers the same question to you today. What would your answer be?